Welcome to Training Unleashed, the show that will help you design and deliver training that's off the chain and will make a difference. Now, here's your host, Evan Hackle. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Training Unleashed. We're going to have a really exciting show today. We're going to be talking about software, and we're, of course, going to be talking about training. My guest is Ian Robinson. He is with Enliven. Before we get started, of course, I need to thank my sponsors, C-Suite TV, C-Suite Radio. Ian, one of the things you say is a successful project is one that uses software as a means of making people's daily lives and jobs more enjoyable. Now, I mm. like that, but what in the world does that mean? <laughs> um, it means uh, as pain-free as possible, right? So I think in our uh, organizational cultures, we've normalized a lot of painful software experiences. And uh, my very noble work in the world is to uh, try and reduce that suffering as much as I can. It doesn't have to be that bad. You know, um, it, it is kind of a noble thing when you think about it. I do think, <laughs> I do think, you know, most software is difficult. I think people usability, use, you know, people understanding, you know, if all software could be intuitive would be would be amazing. So, you know, I know we're going to talk about training, but we're going to first start talking about technology. Sure. What are the opportunities that companies have to make the companies better by utilizing technology in a better way? And and I think that the there are probably many, and a lot of them fall back to kind of efficiency and productivity, kind of generic things that everybody wants more of. Sure. Um, and I think the most interesting way to me to get at those um, kind of indirectly is by creating this I, this very personal kind of organizational specific digital work environment that's imbued with their uh, worldview and culture. Uh, and those things, when, when that helps you to make intuitive software, uh, that then, you know, practices are followed, people are onboarded more easily, maybe the need for elaborate training on a system, and then the implementation of that system uh, is collapsed a little bit, because the, the worldview, the processes, the workflows, all of that um, is directly expressed in the software. So I think the things that, um, you know, and, and what, and what organizations have to gain almost goes back to, well, first pain reduction, right? You want to go find all of the nooks and crannies throughout your processes and your systems and remove as much overhead and frustration as possible. Um, because these are real humans you're employing and uh, <laughs> they don't feel good when they're mistreated and the software shouldn't mistreat them either. <laughs> I, 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 think that's, I think that's a good thing. <laughs> I, I know that you are an advocate for custom built solutions, mm -hmm. solutions that are, you know, like a good suit, so to speak, you know, per perfectly tailored for the company. Yeah, I like that. Um, Versus, you know, buying something you can buy off the shelf. And I know it's like really tempting to buy something off the shelf because, you know, what there used to be a saying in technology, no one got fired by uh, mm. 
by choosing IBM, you know, probably no one's been fired by choosing Salesforce or HubSpot or, or something of that sure, nature. Sure, sure. Uh, what are the what are the advantages of custom of custom solutions versus yeah, and, buying off the shelf that's been you know millions yeah. of dollars have been spent on? Well, and I'd say that um, buying something off the shelf uh, that product was created for really as many to be used by as many companies as possible. So it wasn't created for you. It was created for people like you. And for things like accounting, that's fine, right? Um, and, unless you're a very creative accountant, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> um, but there, so there are often models and systems that we have within organizations where they really are similar from one organization to the next. And those best practices are really established at an industry level and at a, and those can be baked into products that serve everybody. So I'm most interested, like, I love that stuff and you should use off the shelf software when it makes sense. I'm more interested in all of the cases where it doesn't make sense because there's something lost if you just use something off the shelf or you don't really, you know, the most obvious option is when you really don't have some, something available. So what, why don't we make this easier for everyone to understand? Sure, sure. Give, give an example. Maybe, you know, you don't need to come use a company name, but maybe a case study. Hey, this yeah. is what we found and this well, is what we did. Yeah. So the first example that I'm thinking of is um, it's from the healthcare space. Uh, it's specifically auditing. So they'd go in and do audits for risks of all different sorts inside of a, a hospital system. And that's something where you can, well, you could find off the shelf systems to help you manage workflow and kind of document processes. Um, but you, this organization in particular had really developed their own, they had a pretty strong worldview. They had a lot of expertise and a lot of experience. And so they took the opportunity to build their own just like A, to make things easier uh, on everybody, right? Because now it's all in everybody. It's in the organizational language, right? We're all using the same words. We all have the same kind of worldview, workflows, the tools are all right there. Um, but my my favorite part about it was their kind of knowledge management was very involved in feeding learnings from each engagement back into the software. So those uh, leading practices, you know, whatever it might be, were just baked right in. And people who came to that company um, from working at similar companies you know, said, I, I couldn't go back now. Like, I feel so supported by this software. It's like, well, they were using software at the other companies too. Everybody's using some sort of software. Um, but the idea of this custom software just being a direct expression of their worldview, their culture, their processes, there was no middle layer for people to have to interpret. Um, and they didn't leave all of that potential on the table either by just, you know, using um, off-the-shelf solution. So how big does a company need to be to sit there? Like, you're a two-person company. You're not going to build a custom piece of software. 
I mean, it's just not, not typically economic. not typically right. not <laughs> right. <laughs> How big a company needs to be to, where they, they would say, you know, look at, we really need to look at custom SOP where would, you know, and it sounds like you're really talking about workflow. Yeah. And it's data and tools together. Yeah. Uh, and that always ends up being some amount of workflow kind of role-based collaboration is a good, yeah. good catch-all phrase. Um, but it's bringing all of those things together. And I think that really it can be smaller than this, but if you've got a hundred or hundreds of employees, like you're starting to get into the world of it might be worth it. Again, depending on what kind of expertise you have. If you have some really novel approaches to your business that you can't just buy off the shelf, then you can always buy something off the shelf and say, here's our process and you write it down over here. And then it's implemented in this system that we rented from somebody else. Yeah. But there's always going to be a gap there between how that system was designed for people like you, not for you specifically. And so I think at that size of hundreds of employees, it starts getting very interesting to, well, you can actually feel the benefits of closing that gap um, in onboarding and training for systems and processes. So I, I, I'm going to show you how little I know, but enough to be dangerous. Uh, low code, no code software. Mm -hmm be able to build custom design is that something that that you're familiar with and that makes sense for smaller companies to perhaps consider and maybe you can tell our audience what low code no code is i could too but i'm sure you could do a better job sure yeah i think so low code no code to me it's not an area I'm, i've gone kind of super deep into but it it really is using tools that exist out there to create custom workflows and designs um, that, so it's, it's really, there's a lot of API driven things out there and a lot of tools that just allow you to build user interfaces or string one thing to get, if that, then this sort of stuff. Um, and I do think that those have their place and you should very, um, you know, the idea there is that it's a very low barrier to entry. So you yes. don't need, you don't need somebody like me who has a computer, an old fashioned computer science degree. <laughs> um, and um, so what, but, but at the, you know, on the other hand, um, what you can do is you can play with pilot test functionality and then take that and then code, do real code. Yes. Yes. And, and, and that's, and just with, that's where I was headed too. I think it's a very good kind of beginning layer to prove things out. Because one of my core kind of ideas is when it comes to building very serious software platforms, you should be replacing something. Like you don't, yeah. it's not speculative, right? You, you need to have evidence that this area of your business is worth modeling that thoroughly. Yeah. And, and for the audience to know, low code, no code is sort of, a, it is a, platform that just makes it super easy for people that don't know programming to program. Mm -hmm. The problem with it is at scale. And what I mean at scale, when you have a lot of users, it tends not to function well. It tends to go really slow because the platform is doing more than good software would do because good mm -hmm. software 
is, is doing is the keep, least amount possible. Is doing the least amount <laughs> <Really>? possible. <laughs> so don't, don't all run out and you know, Google low code, no code, and, and say, this is my solution. Um, but um, let, let's shift into the world of training. Mm. Um, you know, everything you're saying, I agree with from a training perspective, sure. because a lot of times you can buy a lot of off-the-shelf training, but at the same time, if you're going to figure in the cost of the training you're buying, the cost, and this is what I think most people don't figure out, is the cost of the time of the student, right? Mm -hmm. To not have something that is very specific to your company, your culture, doesn't, doesn't make sense because you want to train people on your company's way of doing business, whether it's you're training people on, on hiring, coaching, management, session planning, or whether you're training people on product or, or sales or operations and, and, and things of, and things of that nature. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, learning management systems and last I counted and I joke cause I've never counted, but the last <laughs> I read, <laughs> there are like 9,000 learning management systems out there. And my company alone has five. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. There's gotta be at least 9,000 out there. <laughs> Oh yeah, there there are a lot, and uh, we were joking before the show that there's some that are really old and really bad. Mm -hmm. um, but you know, what is your thought on learning management systems, and you know, what are some of the advantages of, of like building your own? Uh, well, yeah, I think that um, again, it it really comes back to scale, like you said, with the low code, no code stuff. It's the same thing when you're doing a huge volume of training. And the, I mean, I think ultimately I'm just going to end up reinforcing your, your, what you summarized earlier uh, about um, the idea that if you, if you have an LMS that is, um, that you have to wade through a lot of complexity that just to discard it, just so you can understand it, so you know not to use it, you know what yeah. not to do. Um, that sort of unnecessary complexity really is the hidden um, kind of hidden risk in a lot of software implementations. LMSs are like are a great example of that because they're again they're going to have every feature you can think of and probably way more that you'd never thought of and you don't maybe don't even need to think of right. Um, so, but that doesn't just flow down or it doesn't just sit with the people responsible for the implementation, it also cascades out too, because everybody else, when they take the training, you know, there's a lot of overhead there. So I think that if, if you're, it's, I guess this is why I ended up um, owning a, a custom software company that's, uh, that's celebrating 10 years in business now, is because <laughs> I am, uh, I really think that organize there's, there's something that makes each organization really unique and they have a culture and a worldview that matters or they wouldn't exist. And if, yeah. if that stuff's in jeopardy, then they may not exist for that much longer. Um, but why not go back to that source for each of the engagements that you're taking on, whether it's implementing an LMS um, or modeling something else using custom software, you go back to that source and make sure that you're pulling all of that identity and those values and that worldview and culture, you're pulling that forward and, and implementing it as directly as possible. Um, Cause 
organizations are playing a pretty long-term game. This stuff yeah. adds up, not just at the scale of people that are going to take training this year, but that of the people that will replace all of those people <laughs> at some point too, right? Um, because all you know, the turnover is just the thing that happens over time. And so we're considering far out into the future. I think you can yeah, get I, a, a lot of economies there. I, I would concur with you that most LMSs have far more feature and functionality than most people really need. And it's almost like you know, people get addicted to why not, mm -hmm. but why not is a distraction. Right? Well said, so, well said. Yeah, and, or we, it, it, there's a sense of security that comes with having a huge list of features that you may or may not need. And yeah. even if you know you don't need them, well, just in case, right? Um, but there's the hidden cost of, well, <laughs> this, this thing is, um, is going to be bringing with it a fair amount of unnecessary complexity. And we're about, and maybe we're well-suited to manage that in this instance, depends on the organization, depends on the LMS, but it's very much worth uh, considering and trying to um, trying to make as much of that hidden complexity clear and and own it and choose to own it instead of just inheriting a, a kind of hidden burden. <laughs> just a, you know, plug for Toral. We we really pride ourselves in usability, in simplicity, in the ability to hide stuff that people don't need. Mm. Um, so that it, that's clear. But Tortle Training's Learning Matter experts are passionate about designing effective solutions that move the needle. Whether your organization needs development of e-learning courses, instructor-led training, or assistance with creating optimized electronic versions of employee handbooks, our team can help. To learn more, visit tortle.com slash learning dash development. I want to kind of shift gears here. Um, you know, people talk about the future training, and I'm going to share what I see the future of training to be. It's actually here because good companies are doing this now, and that's just-in-time training. Mm. And and having training exist at the point where it's needed as opposed to living in the LMS. Mm -hmm. Now, that doesn't mean you can't use an LMS to track who's done what training or the LMS to be the place that the training is generated from. But, you know, really good companies have QR codes by equipment that's complex that people mm -hmm. need to know, you know, how to use. So you can go and use your phone or an iPad and click on a QR code and have that training show up. You can create software, you know, like so if you have a CRM or something of that nature where you can put in, you know, training modules that people click on right inside the software, all interacting with the LMS, but are just just in time training. So that people that, you know, instead of saying to somebody, or maybe you say, hey, here's a training course on this software, but to allow people to easily get back and get refreshed mm. or to train as they go or train as they need to go, uh, that just in time in the right place, you know, to me is going to be very big. Yeah, uh, I love it. I love it. And um, what it makes me think of too is that there's, I think it dovetails pretty nicely with um my custom software world in that we're working when creating these project management systems whatever it might be again bringing data tools workflows different roles together 
we're working to, to learn about all of those complex processes and push that guidance into the tools so that in some sense, there is a spirit of just-in-time training there because yeah. it's trying to tell you what, not just what to do, but what to care about and what the order of operations is, what priorities are. Um, and those are things that I think a good software implementation, custom or not, is going to be able to support you in that. Yeah. So I'm going to ask a question of personal privilege because I'm the host of the show. Sure. I go to the airport and I see these airlines and they are using code from the last century. Mm -hmm. Some in COBOL, which for those of you that don't know, has not been the primary code for at least 20 some odd years. And they're creating GUI interfaces. So it looks like it's modern software, mm -hmm. but it's, so <laughs> it's very not <laughs> why do they do that i know it's hard to transition but why in the world um one of the things that i've learned that stuff up yeah one of the things that i've learned is that once something is working and people depend on it nobody wants to change it yeah. there's a lot of risk associated with that change and not only are people well, because once it starts really working and you're depending on it and everybody's depending on it, it becomes invisible. And I think that's, that's the, you know, traffic lights running on COBOL or whatever. It's like, well, it was the right tool for the job and the job hasn't changed really since then. Right. And, yeah. you know, I'm not really that into traffic light programming, so I may be a little bit wrong there, but, <laughs> but I think that that principle is generally true that, um, you, and this is something that um, is, is interesting to get to navigate too, because you do need to modernize and maintain and upgrade any system that exists. Um, it's just, do you want to pay that cost all at once at some unknown <laughs> place in the future when it's kind of an emergency? Or do you do that a little bit at a time and kind of incorporate that into your view of ownership? of that software well, system. You know, what you're saying, I think is true of software is also true of training, mm. which is you're paying one way or the other, right? Yep. So in the Absolutely. case of training, you can pay to train people right and have effectiveness, or you can choose not to train. And then you pay in the price of having ineffectiveness, yeah. inefficiencies, lack of sales, people hurt on the job. Yeah. Uh, and in software, you can either do it right, or you're going to pay for people that are using inefficient <laughs> software that's not giving you the right information, doing the right things. You know, you've been saying this, but not directly, but I'll say it directly, which is, you know, one of the keys is to really plan and think through oh, what absolutely. you need. And the benefit of custom software is you can literally do exactly what you need. Yeah, it's, it's a greatest strength, greatest weakness thing because you have to, right? Yeah. And, um, and it can go really wrong. <laughs> but the the other side is well you get to you get to make it very personalized to your environment um and you know one of my favorite ways to look at to help people look at that is to think about the tools that we're building the platforms that we're building or implementing either one um as parts of our digital work environment 
it's where people's minds live. It's where our employees' minds live all the time. And we want those places where their minds live to be, <laughs> well, to be friendly, accessible, useful, all of the things, right? Yeah. And we really have that opportunity and responsibility, whether it's an implementation or, uh, or um, a custom software project, but it, you go that much deeper with the, the risk and reward, I would say, is, is higher with custom software. Um, but yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you on that one. <laughs> so, uh, Ian, you're very clearly bright person. And I, I think um, I like your attitude. And I think there are a lot of people who'd be really interested in knowing more about your company and what you do, how you work with people, who are your ideal clients. Because sure. um, I guarantee you people listening have products, problems with software somewhere in their business. Yeah. So we tend to focus on professional services firms that have these kind of experts in their in departments and their organizations where there's a real opportunity to do better with software than what's available off the shelf. Um, we're working with clients in the construction world uh, right now and have done a fair amount in healthcare uh, as well. So we're kind of all over the place and a little bit industry agnostic, though I'd love to just pick an industry that makes things so much easier. But uh, we're, we're all over the place. And um, the way that we work with our clients, we sit down um, really off the bat at uh, framing engagement where we help you figure out the strategy there. Yeah, And um, we, from there, uh, think about it as a foundation that we're building and then a growth phase. So it captures a lot of what we've been talking about today in that we want to be transparent and helpful in helping our clients understand the opportunities, the risks, the rewards, the ownership, not now, but also over time. And yeah. what, does it, what does it look like to get something solid under your feet? Then actually doing that and then growing and adapting. I almost think of it as systems renewal over time. So you've got to constantly you know, pay into that bucket of renewal, whatever form that takes, or else uh, you'll, end, you'll end up in a bad looking for COBOL programmers in 2022, <laughs> <laughs> right? So, some, um, some COBOL programmers are, are, are really, uh, really well paid because they're such a short- Oh, shortage. absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I, I, I learned on Fortran, so, uh, but there appears to be no demand for that. Yeah. Um, so how do people reach you? And just bear in mind that most people are not getting the show notes. Sure. So, you know, your, your company's got a cool name, uh, but not necessarily easy to spell. <laughs> uh, your website would be cool. Sure. Yeah. Our website's enlivenhq.com. That's E-N-L-I-V-E-N-H-Q.com. And one, you can find one, me on... One more, one more time. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Enlivenhq.com. E-N-L-I-V-E-N-H-Q.com. And you can find me on LinkedIn. Uh, it's Ian Robinson. Um, and yeah, be happy okay. to Okay. We're at the end, but we end with a very special thing at this show, which is one tip. If you have one yeah. tip to share with the audience, what would your one tip be? Yeah, and I think this is in keeping with the theme here. Um, there's, a, there's a quote from an architect that I'll paraphrase um, who said that 
architectures, the one job in architecture is to make a space that's um, reassuring and on at least a subconscious level. So a human is in the space, they should be at least subconsciously reassured. I think that's a wonderful way to look at both software implementations and custom software builds, because when you're looking at your environment, again, worldview, values, culture, identity, um, put yourself in your place, in the place of your employee and try to, to make sure that what you're implementing is something that's very, um, that's reassuring, which is, makes it kind of a three-dimensional, like a real thing. So that, that exercise, um, you know, the result, mean, it means different things to different people. I'm hearing, very, I'm hearing empathy. Absolutely. Yeah. Empathy and compassion are kind of at the, at the root of all of these uh, practices, I think, because uh, it just roots out unnecessary complexity, right? If you actually yeah. understand the situation somebody's in and what their motivations are. Hey, we can focus on that. We kind of don't have to focus on any, like all the other details, right? So, yeah. So, and thank you for being a guest. I want to thank my listeners for listening. Without you, there would not be a show. Of course, thank you to C-Suite TV and radio. Everyone have a great day. Training Unleashed is brought to you by Tortal Training, specializing in e-learning and interactive online training solutions for corporate, government, nonprofit, and franchise organizations. Tortal makes effective training easier. Just go to tortal.net to gain access to real-world tools that can make a difference. That's tortal.net, T-O-R-T-A-L, tortal.net. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>